Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Matt Richtel will join us to discuss Inspired. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, creativity. We'd all like more of it, but how does it arise? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Matt Richtel. Mr. Richtel is the Pulitzer Prize winning author who has been a reporter at the New York Times since 2000. He's penned numerous works, including Inelegant Defense, and he has penned the new book, Inspired Understanding Creativity, A Journey Through Art, Science, and the Soul. Mr. Richtel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. Certainly a fascinating book you put together. I'm curious why you decided to look into the issue of creativity. Well, I have had this experience of developing a creative life and, and having these aha moments and this inspiration. Started talking to creators I know and scientists I know and said, what is this thing? What is creativity? Where does it come from? Why does it feel the way it feels? And how do we get access to it? So I did what journalists do and went down a rabbit hole. And three years later, here we are. I think we all have sort of an intuitive understanding or appreciation of what creativity is. But do you have a definition for what it is that we're looking at? Yeah. So I looked at a lot of different definitions from the scholarly community and have picked out two that make the most sense to me, although reasonable people can disagree. One is just something that's novel and has influence. And by influence, I don't mean world changing. You could put 10 ingredients together from your fridge to create dinner and have influence because your kids ate that night. So that is a creation. And it goes all the way up to Elon Musk or the antibiotic and world changing creations. The other definition I like comes from Einstein. He called it intelligence having fun. We'll leave it to Einstein to have a great definition. The, one of the key parts of that is the novelty aspect of it. it. Not necessarily has to be novel generally, but it's novel to you. It's something you haven't thought of. And where does that spring from? And where does inspiration strike? Yeah, this is really gets to the heart of the question of what is creativity and where does it come from? And I get more into the neuroscience of this in the book and even the biology of it, and happy to go over that ground with you if you like. But in broad brushstrokes, there is a really subconscious element in that dots or ideas or whatever metaphor you want to use are running around in the backs of our minds. And those ideas come together and come apart almost like the emergence of random mutations genetically. And those ideas can have novelty associated with them. And there are periods of time when individuals become receptive to observing those ideas, and certain ones stick out as particularly interesting. This can be a moment of inspiration, and they get run quickly over the hot coals of our intellect. 
And at that moment, we sort of pressure test them. Is this really interesting? Now, that is a metaphorical version of it. If you want a biological or neurobiological version of that, I can go there as well. But let me not be too long-winded. Gathering that the brain is always constructing several ideas and then at some point at some time it just becomes receptive or these ideas that are always percolating there rise to the level of awareness and then ruminate on it. You said it much better than I did. Um, you're hired. But I want to point out that the next beat of this is that there's a distinction between people who permit themselves to go through that process and foster it and those who do not. And let's go back to Einstein. I'll tell you a quick story and explain why I'm telling you this. It's among the many little wonderful snippets I was privileged to hear about. Einstein tells a colleague, I've come up with the unified field theory. And his colleague says, oh, that's wonderful, Albert. But under that theory, the universe can't exist. And one of the things we know about creative people, even those deemed geniuses, is that they actually have much more quantity than they have quality. They spit out lots and lots of ideas. And by spit out, what I mean is they are very receptive to the collection of those ideas in their brain and their willingness to explore them. And so one important distinction between the knit or innate or natural creative state and those people who take advantage of it is they allow themselves to be receptive to that experience. It, certainly with someone like Einstein or, or the people that we view as very creative, they've probably fed themselves a lot of ideas that can be combined in various ways. So part of it is just inputting a lot of stuff into their brain that can be combined together for, to form some new idea. Such a great question and so dead on. And I'd like to give you a little bit of science around that. And I think in many ways, my favorite piece of science in a reasonably science-heavy book, it has to do with inputs. So the extent to which anyone can draw connections between things depends on how many connections they have in the first place to draw from. If you think of it as uh, metaphorically, you would imagine, again, you know, going to your spice rack in your home, you can only create as many meals as you have different spices to draw from. Well, this gets really interesting when you hear this science about the fact that creators not only tend to have a broader or more open perspective. But in addition, they actually physically see more of the world to draw from. Researchers and I'm at the University of California at Santa Barbara were curious about what creators see. And they, they took a bunch of people and, and had them take tests to see how creative they are. And there's a variety of standard measures used to explore creativity. How many ideas can you come up with? How able are you to elaborate on those ideas? And they ranked these study subjects based on how creative they were. And then they sat all the study subjects about 17 inches from a computer and showed them a series of abstract and less abstract objects and used sophisticated eye tracking software to see where they looked. And what the study showed was that the people who ranked highly in creativity physically saw more spots on the screen and spent more time examining those spots. And people with sort of a more rigid or less curious worldview physically saw less. So I'm curious what your interpretation of that is. 
would mean that they're probably more open to receiving more ideas and that therefore they can then draw more connections between all the newer inputs that they're getting, right? Yeah, totally. And the and there's a related study that's a little controversial and I'm, I don't want to get angry cards and letters. Let me explain it before I go into it, before you judge me. There was a study done very recently. This is a 2022 study, actually, about the relationship between people of deep religious faith and creativity. And it found that on the whole, people who have a deep belief in a monotheistic God can see limit limitations to their creativity. Now, there's a big caveat to this. See Sistine Chapel and a trillion wonderful religious creators. What this study is really about is not about God, believing in God, or even religion. It's about when you have a worldview that is extremely rigid that might limit how much you can even allow yourself to think certain thoughts. So this doesn't apply in any way to all religious people because there may be religious people, there are religious people, I know them well, who see a God or religion as something that encourages creativity and exploration. But if you have a rigid worldview, it will limit what you allow yourself to even contemplate, or in other words, the dots you can connect. Uh, indeed. I mean, dogmatism can be a problem in any context, even in the sciences, where one becomes too wedded to an idea not to see anything outside of that. Well, one might gather account for heavy polarization that there's a tunnel vision that begins to develop and outside ideas are no longer able to compete. And we are at this very interesting point where I will argue that we are at the most creative point in human history, and I can even cite data to support that and conditions to support that and explain why that might be. But also, that we are at a time of great terror over the chaos around us. And these ideas are not unrelated. Creativity can be very, very scary. In fact, there's a wonderful piece of science at the beginning of this book that will show that explicitly people say they love creativity, but implicit bias tests will show that people associate creativity with toxins and poison and vomit. Why would that be? Well, creativity is displacing, it's disruptive, it messes with the status quo, it messes with your ability to feel comfortable in the environment you're in. It even can be the death of industries. Well, it absolutely can be that, not even. Why does that affect people hunkering down in rigid worldviews? Because if the world is changing quickly and lots of creations are happening, it can feel very disruptive and encourage others less receptive to that change to really tether to a hardcore belief system. Creativity in some sense then has to be nurtured or fostered and the right environment has to be placed. And certainly if you were in a totalitarian state, creativity is perhaps not so well appreciated in those places. Right. And we are, the reason I say this era is among the most creative. Let me just give you a stat. Like I think in uh, 2018, there were 199,000 patents applied for by international collaborators. And that was a huge jump over a decade earlier. The internet is creating the ability for people to collaborate and communicate and compete across nation state borders. And what's winding up happening is the entire globe is beginning to mimic what used to happen in silos of creativity, Jerusalem, Florence, Harlem, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, places where you had a, a high population 
of people dealing with and thinking about certain issues and the, the research will back up. That's what's going on in these congregate places that it leads to exponential growth of creativity. But now that's happening globally and that is extremely disruptive. A lot of people wonder, what can they do to foster their own creativity? There are absolutely things. And the first thing I want to say in encouraging that is that I really, I really end this book. It becomes a little bit of a journey to understand not only what creativity is, but what it means. And, and I've, I can cite some pretty good science at the end of this book that being creative, whether it's doing something small or something in a much bigger way, leads people to be happier. It leads them to feel less burdened. It creates a process that lets for individual that allows for individual expression. How do you tap into that? Well, there are ways of allowing yourself to go through that process we described earlier of creating space in your life and in your head to let your mind wander, to not be afraid of the thoughts that pop in, to allow yourself to, to not judge those thoughts through a lens of perfectionism, to allow that aha moment, that euphoria to drive you, that moment exists for a reason. And in the reason it exists, and this is this part is my theory because I haven't seen science behind it, but having experienced these moments of faith where I go, oh my gosh, I got to pursue that. That's so vital to pursue. I think that that is because it's trying to drive us through the status quo and staying in one place is often easier than using the energy to try something new. Along those lines, I think one of the interesting, during the pandemic, one might have guessed that creativity might flounder, but if there was an explosion of a lot of creative products. It was such a unique environment. People were more receptive to open ideas. Maybe were more alone with themselves and were open to the ideas that were coming. And this was one of those ideal circumstances where creativity could abound. I mean, you can think of COVID itself as an extraordinary creation. Creations are not moral or amoral, and, and you don't even know what good or bad will come of things. And you can argue that a lot good came of this period, and I'm not trying to be naive about the terrible suffering and death and job loss. But one of the things that happened was people started to spend a little more time slowing down and assessing and feeling and experiencing on a quieter level. And so if you combine that interpersonal moment of reflection or time or relaxation or retreat with all the tools available for creation right now, it's no wonder this stuff exploded and still can. I mean, this is a time to hold on to some of that stuff. We need not go back to an Angry Birds lifestyle. I just made that up. <laughs> I don't know if there's an Angry Birds lifestyle. Well, it was creative. <laughs> You know, we're only slightly out of time here, but really have a lot of great points in the book, different avenues you weren't able to touch on all of them. But I'm just curious, people taking a look at the book, what would you like them to take home uh, regarding the book? What would your final words regarding understanding creativity? I guess I'd want them to take home that this is in them, creativity. It is innate. I get into even the biological origins of it and that it is really fun and really happy making potentially. And that to the extent people can understand the obstacles that get in our way of creativity, they may be able to move past them. This is one of those amazing notions, creativity, where a person can both enjoy something more and maybe contribute to the world in general. There aren't many things where you can say that. And so I say go for it. 
We were just talking with Matt Richtel, the title of his new book, Inspired, Understanding Creativity, A Journey Through Art, Science, and the Soul. Mr. Richtel, thanks so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on rocking.